Hey everybody, it's Steven. I just needed to break in here for a quick second and ask you guys a huge favor. Uh, this month of October, we are doing the first ever Mostly Harmless Media membership drive. This is where we are asking you, our listeners, to step up and help us continue to bring you great content. What I need you to do is head over to mostlyharmless.media, click on support us. There's a button that says become a member. When you fill out this form, you're going to pick a dollar amount, $1, $5, $10, whatever is comfortable for you. And you're going to set up a recurring payment to mostlyharmless.media. And this is going to help us continue to bring you great programming, continue to bring you new shows like we launched Grounded Sounds in the last few months. Uh, and that has been a huge success. And you guys have really come out of the woodwork and embrace that. And we have some really great things in the pipeline we want to continue to bring you. And we need your support to do that. Uh, all of these shows are labors of love for us. Every single person that works for Mostly Harmless has a day job. Uh, so we're, we're constantly working and we're coming here after hours and we're, we're continuing to produce stuff. So your contribution and becoming a member is going to help us continue to do that and go even further with it. So as a member, what you're going to get is we're going to give you access to some exclusive content. We've got some great videos that we've shot. We've got some short films that we've made. We've got some lost episodes that you've never heard before. All of this will be made available to our members only through a special portal on our website. On top of that, we are going to throw a party here at our beautiful tower studio to just celebrate you guys, to celebrate our shows, uh, to kind of get give that one chance for everybody to get in the same room together, to hang out. We're going to listen to some music. We're going to have some beverages. You know that we have some wonderful sponsors here at the studio. We have Anthem Brewing. We have Ozarka Water. Uh, we've had Elemental Coffee. We've had Urban Tea House. We've had some great local restaurants provide us support. We're going to bring all of these things to bear for this party, and we're going to have a fantastic time. But that's only if you become a member. That's only if you sign up for the Mostly Harmless Media membership during the month of October. So once again, head over to our website, mostlyharmless.media. Click on support us, become a member, do what you can. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for being such an amazing city and such an amazing community for us to do these things and to have been embraced. We cannot thank you enough. Back to the show. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. This show will attempt to find the good, the bad, and the weird, and convey them in a seriously irreverent way. Get ready, adventurer, and as always, we apologize for the inconvenience. Hi, I'm Steven. I'm Aaron. And I'm John. Watching a group of bands in Los Angeles form this thing called The Raft. And it was a band called Early Mart and the Silver Sun Pickups and um, Auto Lux and a couple of these other bands. What they would do is when they would play a show, say Silver Sun played a show at Spaceland, all the merch, they would have their merch on a table, but they'd have other bands' merch on their table as well. And That's be like, cool. hey man, if you like us, Check out Early March. Yep. Check out, you know, Autolux. Check out Suicide Machines. Like, these are all bands that are really baller. And then Suicide Machines would do that and be like, if you like us, man, you'll love these guys. And it's just, it's, it's, you're spreading good vibes and, you know, you, yeah. you'd be 
what what that is by that respect is like you're spreading good you know you're spreading good burger karma around the city you're spreading good wine. <laughs> man i want some burger karma so, right exactly <laughs> so to backtrack because i hit record in the middle of this conversation yeah. is our, we have a guest on our show this week a special guest introduce yourself a special guest because we also pointed out that yeah. we always say it's a special guest <laughs> my name is ian bennett uh, and I am, uh, we're going to talk about wine this week. We're talking about the uh, virtues of wine, but we were talking about wine cause I showed you a couple of bottles that had been given to me over the last few weeks for various reasons. And I was wanting your opinion on them. You're like, yeah. Oh, these are all great. They're not wines that I rep, but Hey, blah, blah, blah. And then you said, uh, rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. And we were laughing cause that has become sort of like just it. it it's almost bad if one of our episodes doesn't include that phrase. Right? But I love right. it that that phrase keeps coming back at us because to me it means the tide is still rising. Yeah. And as it rises, there are clearly more people that it's raising up. Well, I think there's still people to reach. You know, I mean, you haven't reached the, the critical mass yet. I mean, there's not a singularity in Oklahoma City yet where you're like, oh, we have to move on to the next thing. Like, mm -hmm. right. you know, it's like, you know, and, you know, you run into places, you know, I think you run into things like that in, in bigger markets where it's like, oh, now the next thing we have to do is make apple pie into a giant molecule that tastes like apple pie, but that's all it is, is like um, a tiny spear. Right. And that's like the next thing, but it just, you you get to a point where- An apple pie singularity. Exactly, there's an apple pie singularity. That'll happen well, once we get the quantum that's cryptography. That's make an apple, apple pie, pie from scratch. First after, well, <laughs> and, that's, and that's the thing, is then you fall yeah. into like the, you fall into the dessert black hole and, and you know, you spaghettify yourself trying well, like to- Like when creme brulee you know, doesn't taste to, good exactly. anymore or something? And, <laughs> yeah. How does that work? Work. Well, I mean, I think that you you can you can turn knobs so much, and I always I think it I I equate one and one of my concepts and philosophies of, of of wine too is that any language that you use in your life you can apply to talking about wine. I mean, and I you know I think that there's a there's a it's it's tough because I think that when it comes to wine, I think there's a certain air that gets put on. There's a certain sort of pomposity I think that some people put. I think I it. think that happens though because people think they're supposed to do that, and that's and they don't realize yeah. that you just have to let go with it. I think if you like it, you like it. If you if, don't, right. you don't, man. It's like treat it like you would art or books if or you music wanna, or whatever. If you want to drink cheap white wine with your barbecued ribs and drink fucking sweet exactly. white wine with your barbecued like, ribs, and the thing is, is like uh, there's a lot of people. Ariana Grande sells a shitload of records. I don't I haven't bought one, but that doesn't mean <laughs> she doesn't make okay music, that's right. you know. And so it's like. You know, you know, decry everything you want. I mean, I'll drink what I want. It might not be what anybody else drinks or what you drink, but I'm not gonna piss on your parade for drinking what you yeah, drink, man. Like it, and I don't right. think anybody I mean, should do that. One of my favorite drinks of all time, and I know we've talked about how to order cases of this stuff because yeah, it's not as readily available in Oklahoma as it was when I first started drinking it yeah. in Colorado. But drinking warm sangre de toro right oh out God, of a bottle. So good. <laughs> Oh my God. For sure, man. For sure. I have drank an entire bottle of Sangre de Toro when I just, like sitting in my recliner, just drinking it out of the bottle. Oh yeah, man. And, <laughs> and I this think is it, a wine. A wine. Yeah. It's a red wine. It, it's a, it's it, a Spanish uh, Grenache a Spanish blend. blend. It's a, yeah. It's a, like a Grenache Tempranillo, Tempranillo. Blend. Yeah, yeah, Grenache Tempranillo. And it's one of those wines that I, I came across when I first started drinking, you know, drinking too. It used to have a little, used bull. to have a little plastic bull we on it. We used to collect those little bulls. Yeah, man. It's like, I've seen And it used, to, it used to be corked. Now yes. there's no longer a bull, and now it's not corked well, anymore. The bull is on it, but it's part is of it the, it's part of the label, yes. so it's not actually physically something you can take off. Whenever like we a, first started drinking, 
that wine, you know, the bull was actually attached by a little ribbon that was yep. underneath the cap. Yep. And so every time we would drink a bottle of Sangre de Toro, we would pull the bull off and it would be on its ribbon. And then we would tack it to our kitchen wall. But, yeah, and right. we had this. Yeah. So after a few years, we had like this marching herd of Sangre yeah, de Toro. Yeah, by the time we moved out of that apartment. So kitchen just, wall. Right. This episode brought to you by Sangre de Toro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think what's really funny, too, is I think that a lot of people think that, you know, I, I you know, I don't know. I think that for me, I, I have tried to sort of cross that line and gotten people to, to figure out that, no, it's like, if you like, there are wines that are like Dan Brown's, like, I love reading Da Vinci Code, man, but it's a turn your brain off. Like, I'm I call read, them Twinkie books. Yeah, man. They're, they're, you can yeah. sit down and it's finish like, them in two sittings. It's like a Dean Koontz book. Yeah, yeah man. It, they're fun. And there are wines in the world that are like that. Like I've got on that my shelf good, right now. It tastes good. It has no substance, but it's good, a really good time. great to sit down, open up, sit on your back patio and drink and just enjoy. And there's mm. other wines that are a little more serious. Like I'm going to get into a Melville tonight. Like, and that, you know, there's a lot more layers. Like a Moby Dick? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, um, there's, there's a lot literature. more layers to it, you know, and there, there's wines that are like that. But You know what, if, they, if, if somebody would, like, label wines that way for me, like, this is a Cormac McCarthy wine, this is all the way down to this is <laughs> a Dean label wines wine, like that for I you. would know exactly which ones I would want to have at any given this, time. This people, feels like something that if the... The guys from Literati could ever sell wine out of their yes. shop. They could pair it with a book. Right, like, exactly. This is this, like this a, wine with this book. Well, or pair it. Well, you know, I mean, I not that I, you know, I, I also equate it to music. I equate it to art that I've seen too, because wine is an art form. I well, mean, there's that show on the yeah. Spy that they do that the pairing Clayton of wine and music, Clayton. so you could yeah, do the exactly. pairing of wine and books. Wine and books, wine and poetry, wine and art. You right. just, you it's, one of, it's another wine thing, Wine and wine. That people just yeah, need to realize wine, wine it is, glass. it's wine an art form. Mouth. It's an art form open up for you to explore and for you to find out what you like regardless of other people's opinions about it. For sure. Like when, uh, when my wife and I first got married, she loved fashion. And it's like, fashion, that's so yeah. fucking boring. What's yeah. interesting about fashion? And then she showed me all the things that she liked about fashion. And I was like, oh, wow, that is actually a pretty cool art form. Yeah. Um, and now there's stuff in the fashion world that she watches that I consume now. Like, I love that TV show Project Runway. I was like, please say Project Runway because Tim Gunn, Papa Gunn, man, Papa, <laughs> Papa Tim, Gun. man. So I, want, I want him to adopt me yes. as like a foster child and just dress me because <laughs> that guy is the sharpest cat on television. Make man. it work, Ian. Seriously, make it work. It's a make it work moment, guys. And I'm just like, yeah, Papa Tim. And have you seen lately that he's like calling out designers being like, I'm yes. sorry, if you're not designing for plus size models, you're missing out on millions of dollars. Yeah. Like you could just mint money. Like, and that's what's great is he's challenging these people going like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say anything, but if I was moving the rest, if I had a place that I was designing clothes, I would probably be designing plus size model stuff. So well, it's like, it's like uh, I'd imagine it's like making wines that like, you know, our target's going to be under $12 a bottle. Yeah. yeah. Because there are these people that want to go in and like, I do that. Like I go in a, into the liquor store and when I buy a bottle of wine, I just like, I, I've had enough wine yeah. under the $15 mark. That has been really great that I know that I don't really need to spend more than that. And that's and that's you know, I have kind of a true. price range too. I never, you know, I spend. I, I mean, might, I, I might fail and get a really yeah, shitty bottle but of wine. You're, but, but you're only out yeah. 10, 11 bucks. Yeah. Right. right. You I know? mean, I might go up to like $20 a bottle of wine, but one of the things that, that I love doing with wine and wine isn't the thing that I drink the most. I'm a huge whiskey fan. That's yeah, probably yeah, what sure. I drink the most. But when I go buy a bottle of wine, I rarely buy the same one over and over again. Yeah. And okay. I always go buy something. I've never heard of. Which so you when I take it home and do. open it up, I have no idea about what's about to happen. Well, and that's part <laughs> of the thing. It's like opening a new book. You have no idea the adventure yeah. it's going to take you on. And I mean, people, and I, and I say this a lot, it's like people believe that time travel doesn't exist. 
I will I'm I will tell you it does. We ain't gonna argue because with that. look at if you open a bottle of wine from the late '80s or the '70s or the or the '60s even, you are drinking that weather in the vineyard. You're drinking the. It's hands a great time it. capsule. It is. It's a time yeah. capsule if stored it's properly. Old enough. You're drinking the feet that stomped it. Exactly. <laughs> it, well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, let's hope not. There's well, it, you know, there's a whole big movement that I disagree with, and there are people out there that will, you know, punish me for saying this. But there's a natural wine movement that I honestly can say can suck a bag of dicks. Because yeah. it's, I mean, no shit. Like, it's just not my cup of tea. I think if you like sour beers, go for it. You'll love these natural wines. But for me, it's just, they're they're unfiltered, unfined. They want to say they're natural wines, but they're just tart. It's like sucking on a bag of Smarties. And that there's no depth. It's all treble, no bass. Like, and I will always bring it back to music. Because for me, like, you can get to a point where you're turning too many knobs. Like, you can over-engineer a record sometimes. Uh -huh. And I think that you can sort of dive too deep down the rabbit hole of where you want to make this, you know, this this album perfect, or oh, the room have, has, you know, the room doesn't sound right, so I've got to go and put the amp on the other side of the wall and record through this wall to make it perfect. There's a lot of that going on in the wine business now, and it's just it's, you know, they try to get too nerdy and too geeky about it. And I think at the end of the day, you know, you're gonna make a wine that you like to drink. But I was talking to a winemaker the other day, and she was like, I always am worried if I make a wine I like to drink because I'm such a nerd geek that I'll drink stuff that no one else on right. the planet will like. And so it's like, that's why I taste this wine that I make on all on, on as many people as I can before I bottle it because I want to make sure that I'm not going to make a wine I can't sell. You right. know, it's like, oh, it's awesome. I love it. And I taste it on, you know, somebody who's who like, a, like an average consumer and they're looking at me like that just peeled all the all the enamel off my teeth and I feel like my throat's on fire. Like I, I don't I, like that's, I want to try that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that, I think that there's a point where you can, you can get too nerdy with it and you're, you lose sight of, of the essence of it, which is you're trying to give a product to people to, to bring them joy. And so you I guess we'll, we'll backtrack here a little bit too. I don't think we've mentioned this yet. You are a, Trained sommelier. I am a certified sommelier, yes. Second where, did, level. Where, where did this happen? Um, this happened in Philadelphia. It happened, it initially happened, I got interested in it in Los Angeles about 12 years ago. And um, when you were, what was that place called? Uh, Greenblatt. Greenblatt. Yeah, yeah. If you're ever in Los Angeles. Wine to the stars. Yeah. If you're ever in Los Angeles, stop by and have their chicken. Uh, and who did you work there with who's now on SNL? Um, oh, uh, Cecily Strong. Uh, awesome. she, I worked the night shift with her for about a year and a half. Um, she's a funny lady. Most of the characters that she's the she, reason I watch Saturday Night Live now. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's funny. Cause we would be behind the counter at night. Kate and, McKinnon. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good too. Um, but yes, Cecily would be <laughs> behind the counter and most of the, the girl that you wouldn't, the girl that you don't want to talk to at a party mm -hmm. directly derived from most of the girls we saw coming out of the Hyde. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Cause there was an ultra bar car, uh, ultra bar called Hyde right next to there where like Lohan and, and and the Hiltons and all that with you know, this bottle service place that they would yeah. hang out at. And so all of them would come in at like one in the morning, just housed. And that's where she got that character. The girl you don't want to talk, talk to. to you guys party. were open that late. Yeah. till two, we sold wine till two. I worked from five in the evening until two, about two in the morning. And I would get home and I would get home. I, it was eight miles from where I work. So I would ride my bike from really pretty much West Hollywood to sunset in La Cienega all the way back to like Wilshire Western. So, which is about eight, nine miles. Um, so I wouldn't get home till about three in the morning, but yeah, we were open from, uh, uh, 7 a 7 AM, 6 AM to 2 AM. And I saw it with, 
did you work on becoming a sommelier um, while at Greenblatt's? I, no, I did and I didn't. I There was another buddy of mine, shout out to Jonathan Baird, um, out there in the world. Uh, we kind of came up together and we decided to take our first level um, in Costa Mesa, God, like 2007, like a long time ago. And that, what I didn't know is that expires. And so when I went back to do my certification, I had to retake the first level test again. Um, and just when I saw him in Charlottesville about two months ago, I told him that <laughs> and he had no idea. And he was like, what? <laughs> I, I was saw like, him anymore? yeah, brother, um, your first level expired about, you know, after about two years. And he was like, shit. Um, so I had to end up retaking that. And then, um, I, it was about not, it was six months of studying. Well, and I'd been in the business for about five years before I decided to try for my certification. And so I wasn't, I wasn't starting at zero. I already had a pretty good base of knowledge. And so I studied for about six months, um, to take the certified and went to Vegas um, failed theory. There's, it's a three part test, failed theory, pass blinds and, and service. Um, like I rebounded, um, immediately when I got home from that failed test, I looked and cause you can't take it for another three months. You have to wait three months to take it. So I immediately waited, uh, saw what the next test was and then took it in Philly, um, and passed. So nice. if you ever want to see a room of people just weep uncontrollably, <laughs> that's the room to go into after it's just so much work. You want to see some raw motion? Go yeah. To the song well, test. the thing is too, is like, I mean, you don't do it. I would, I would tell this to everybody. Don't do it for thinking you're going to make a lot of money. Right. Um, uh, James Tidwell, master Psalm out of Dallas had a very good point. He's like, you know, even if you pass your master Psalm exam, that does, they're not going to just start writing you a check for $250,000 right. a year that just doesn't happen. You know, it's like, so you have to get into it for yourself first and for your own, for your own gratification. And I wanted to prove something to myself. And that's the reason that I, that I honestly did it was I wanted to prove something to myself. And so, and that's the most rewarding, I think, is when you set out to do something for yourself and for no other reason than that, and you do it, right. especially after failing and then coming back and passing. My, my, my wife told me she's actually probably more proud of me for doing it that than if I would have passed my first time. Absolutely. So six months of studying, fail, you get three more down, months of studying. You get up again. Yeah, and I, yeah, I get knocked down, <laughs> and I get up again. Well done. And I guess it's cool having a friend down. who's a psalm. I yeah. never know what you're going to bring at a party or well, it's a lot of fun. Ironic is we are not drinking wine right now. No, I know. Well, not drinking. and it one, it's like I, you know, I well, would, but I do have a movie to go to, and I, and I like always get really on sleepy. Saturdays. I gotta drive to yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm drinking anything at noon on Saturday, I can promise you it's not going to be wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing is too is if I started drinking now at noon on Saturday, stop. I would not make Magnificent Seven, right. and I would be at home at my house continuing <laughs> drinking wine. Okay, so so all of us has brought you to. Uh, uh, work as a you're a wine distributor now is that yeah correct? yeah, yeah. So i work I, on the uh the brokerage side of it which is what all that means is i bring wine to restaurants and retail shops and try them on it and then sell them so they can put put it on their shelves and that's that's what that's all that means like i'm just a wine rep so or wine rep yeah wine 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 rep and that all that entails is that you know we have a the company i work for is a very large portfolio and i'll walk around and pick stuff out and if you're smart about it, you'll ask your you'll ask your client what they need and you'll bring that to them like that. It seems very simple and it's amazing to me how many people just don't do that. I mean, all you have to do is ask a question. Wait, what do you need on your shelf? Oh, some Chardonnay and maybe some red blends. What's your price range? Oh, 15 to 20 bucks. Awesome. You bring a bag of that done. You know, I think that I think that people overthink it 
And I think that yeah. people are trying to make it too sure. hard. And it's, it's a, at the end of the day, um, uh, I mean, thank God I'm not selling cars or insurance, man. It's like, you gotta be, <laughs> honestly, if you're gonna be in sales, you gotta be passionate about it, man. You gotta be passionate about what you sell or just don't do it. You know, I mean, honestly, don't do it for money or you're not gonna make a whole lot of it. And I think you've gotta, I mean, the people that are really good car salesmen love cars, you know, or they love talking to people, you know? And I think that, you know, for me, I was in restaurants and retail for so long that it, I got to know, I got to know that side of the business. So the catbird seat for me is the fact that I can go in and I can look at a restaurant wine list and see what they need. Or I can look at a retail shop and look at their shelves and see, see what, what they, they need, need yeah. you know? And so, and I, I had somebody ask me, well, how do you, what's well, like, how do you go out and sell one? It's like, well, I'm a wine list assassin. Like <laughs> I will find something on the list that I want to go after and I'll ask them straight up. Like, can I go after that? And a lot of people have, you know, I have one guy who is loyal to one winery because they treated him so well when he went out there. It was the first winery he visited, and they treated him like a prince. And so he's admitted. He's like, I know that the winery is not as good as it used to be. I know that it, the quality has dropped off a little bit, but I will never not have it on my wine list because of how well they treated me. And so a lot of people have a sense of loyalty, and I will never touch that. I'll never try sure. to go after that. But if there's like... A Merlot that's on your list that's around $9 a glass. I've got a couple that I want to try to, and I'll put them side by side. It's like a cage match, man. It's well, you can get down. one on those that'll be $7 a glass or something? Well, or? I try to get it th that or right at the same price point, but that's it better. over delivers. And that's the thing is like, okay. it's, it's, it's like, you know, Master Blaster versus Mel Gibson, man. It's like, you know, <laughs> Thunderdome, you know, two wines enter, one wine leaves. <laughs> and if that wine beats me, no harm, no foul, man. Like, I'm not going to get butthurt about it. I didn't make it. You know, I'll just try to find something else and I'll, I'll regroup and try to, you know, yeah. come at it from a different angle. Now, this one here made it out of the octagon of life. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and I, but man, I've, I've dealt with being a buyer for so long. I dealt with reps who are like, why don't you, what do you mean you don't like that one? It's like, did you make it? No. Well, then fuck off, man. What do you, why are you butthurt? Why are you crying right now? It's like, just, you know, buck up and get out there and give me something else, you know? And so I, I never get, I never get mad or disappointed if somebody doesn't like my wine because one everybody's palate's different too like i would never expect if people someone, don't like the wines that you suggest seriously yeah. that's why as a som or as somebody who's a retailer or a wine seller in, ask your customer what they drink man mm -hmm. don't automatically this is one of the fastest lessons i learned just because i love awesome weird nerdy shit doesn't mean they're gonna like it right like if somebody walks in and goes i want a california cab the worst thing you can do is go give them like a French cab front. Or be like, California cab, what are you drinking that crap for? Yeah, don't ever don't judge ever them. Do that. You know, yeah. it's like because every, they might love it. And honestly, man, everybody has their own palate. My palate's different than everybody. So. What is it? What's the wine in Sideways that he hates? Merlot. Um, he hates Merlot. Merlot. That's yeah. the varietal. He hates That's Merlot. what I was, thought was interesting about so that. So why does he hate Merlot? Because if you read the book, it's his wife's favorite varietal. It's his uh, wife's favorite what it varietal. Is? Yeah, and okay. it's funny because he <laughs> drinks Cheval Blanc, and this is widely known within nerd circles. He drinks Shovel Blanc at the end out of the paper cup, and it's predominantly a Merlot. It's a blend, but it's predominantly Merlot. And so what's funny is, like, it's a joke if you know the wine. If you know the wine he's drinking, you're like, well, that's fucking almost all Merlot anyway. So, okay. <laughs> so there was, that's I a moot that, point. Man. Like, he hates Merlot because his ex-wife hates Merlot. Because his ex-wife. Right. That's that makes the only more sense. reason. 
And that's the thing is like 20 years later, people are still like, I don't drink fucking Merlot. It's like, why? Because of that movie. Well, because Paul Giamatti said I shouldn't drink Merlot. In a fictional movie? In a fictional movie. Yeah, he doesn't like, drink it because he hates his wife. Yeah, that's why he Do doesn't drink it. you hate his wife it. too? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know the fictional character's wife? So let's put it out there right now. It is totally okay to drink Merlot. It's a really good varietal, and <laughs> yeah. I think it's coming back. I mean, hopefully, God, thank God, because, I mean, it's one of my favorite varietals. It's fun to drink, and I think it's really fruit forward. You get a lot of, you know, blackberry, a lot of dark fruit, and it's a little bit, you know, it's got a little bit of that sort of uh, pencil shaving graphite thing going on, which is, <laughs> which sounds like super bad, but it's really good. I mean, I remember as a kid, like, I was, I was one of those weird kids that loved getting pencil sharpening duty, because you had to... Because that, that dates the shit out of me. Pencil sharpening duty. Remember when you had to sharpen pencils physically by hand? Yeah, that's 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But yeah, we, I, we, people, kids had to knock a rate. You had eraser duty. Yeah. And you had pencil sharpening duty. And so whoever, like, if you got, you know, to get a gold star, you, you, made, you made sure you emptied the pencil sharpener, you know, mm -hmm. when it was full. And so I remember opening up those old pencil sharpeners Smelling and the will that the way that, oh, smelled, the way that oh that's what you're talking about that smell, that smell of the that old smell of pencil the sharpener on the pencils. wall i got you that is what i'm that's talking cool about smell. yeah it's I still, still kind of like sniffing the end of pencils i know yeah. man it's it's okay. that's exactly kind of what that varietal throws off man and i still and, have i still have my tattoo on the back of my hand where i was stabbed i do I, I do too i have one on my wrist and i have one on my neck <laughs> where i was i laughed i was like in first grade and i was like stab like right in my neck yeah. it was so bad and I, it was just oh man i was a wreck when i was in like grade school but yeah like those little moments and that's another thing that i love about wine is you have that that's how it's a time travel is mm -hmm. it takes you back to those moments in your life and one of the best wines that i've had was this board it's a it's a uh, chateau angeles and I had it, God, maybe eight years ago at this point. And the re and it was the only wine. It's my favorite wine. People always ask me, what's your favorite wine? Oh, night, 2005, Chateau Angeles, best wine I've ever had. One, the only reason is, is because it's the first wine to give me such a visceral experience mm -hmm. that I started crying. Wow. Because I can do that? That's intense. Yeah, man. Like it, because my grandmother, as growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. And I would spend like a month at a time during the summers. And she was a smoker. Uh -huh. And she made pot roasts. And so the house smelled like sort of <laughs> that sort of wet tobacco cigar sort of mm -hmm. smoke and coupled with pot roast. And so roasted veg, you know, they make a pot roast, so roasted veg, carrots, onions, your uh -huh. mirepoix, and then your rump roast and stuff. And so that's what I remember that house smelling like is like beef and veg and like tobacco, like tobacco. And cigarette smoke and you i stuck my nose in that glass and i was 10 years old again wow, wow. like it was fucking bizarre it was like quantum leap like <laughs> and i was like oh boy i'm 10 years old again <laughs> oh no i'm at my grandma's house like it was nuts and so i had to go and my my buddy jonathan baird who i talked about earlier he actually was like you okay man and i was like i just i need a minute like I needed a minute with this and I went off the corner and I nosed it some more and I just to make sure that I was, I was checking myself like, okay, is this something else? Or, you know, like what's, what's happening right now? And I nosed it and I was like, that's exactly what it is, man. I mean, it was almost immediate. It was like you, if you, and that's why I, I always, when I nose a wine for the first time, I always equate it to walking into a room for the first time because the first thing you do is not the first thing you see you in a room. It's how it. a room smells. It's the first thing you'll notice in a room. It's never what, what you, oh, that's great art or that, that's, those are great fixtures or whatever. It's like, oh, this room smells like sort of pine and uh, sawdust and, you know, stuff like that. It's like 
that's the first thing you notice. So I always close my eyes and just kind of stick my nose in the glass and the first thing that hits my mind. And that's, that's where I go with it. Um, it's, I, you could get meditative about it, but it's it is kind of crazy it too how me. smell can actually evoke so many more emotions than say like a lot of times maybe like sight, sight can or sound. Like if you were to if you were to look at a picture of like your grandma's house, yeah, it probably would not evoke the same emotional responses that smelled it. Oh, if you could somehow bottle the way that her house smelled right. in 1984, like that's exactly and that what is that is interesting how that. Smells works a very senses, evocative though. sense. I mean, and we'll think about it. I mean, you walk into any room, like I, I've walked into places and been like, what is that smell? Like that is, I have just, and I music will do the same that. thing, you know? I mean, and music will do the same thing. It's like, you can hear a chord progression and be like, where have I heard that before? Yeah. You know, um, there's a commercial on TV now that reminds me of the music from legend. Like the, the old Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. 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 The Ridley Scott, there's a, yeah. there's a, there's a commercial Tim on TV. Curry. Um, a commercial on TV, and I wonder who, who did this. Was it Vangelis that did the soundtrack for that? For Legend? I don't for think Legend? so. Because I know they did Blade Runner. But he I, did Blade uh, Runner, yeah. I don't think he did Legend. And he did a lot of film soundtracks. You know who, did, you know who uh, is your love strong enough is Brian Ferry. From Roxy Music? Yeah. So he did a couple of the songs for the soundtrack. I've got the single. That's one of my prized possessions is a Brian Ferry single from Legend of just that song, nice. Is Your Love Strong Enough? That song is dope. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, the music, there's a commercial on TV. It's the new like Honda, v, like vision uh -huh. will stop. And like, there's so many distractions that like, there's a synth line in there that the very beginning of it reminds me of the synth lines from, from the Brian legend. Ferry song from legend. And I'm like, automatically <laughs> I'm just like, you Take know, it back. yeah, exactly. Taken back to Tim Curry, which is, who is unrecognizable and should probably won an Oscar. Mm hmm for that film, because that's amazing. Much like, uh, I always go back to this too, much like uh, Rutger Hauer and Blade Runner should have won an Oscar for yeah. Roy Batty. I mean, un, unsung performance in that, in, that, in that movie. I have a question for you. Awesome. If you were If you were to meet him ever in real life, what wine would you serve Snake Plissken? Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Snake Pliss. Oh. It's tough Man, I thought you would have been taller. I don't no. even know if he would, would he drink one? No, he would Man, probably, no, if I, if I gave Snake Plissken a glass of wine, he would crack it in half and stab me in the neck with a yes. stem. I think he would drink your blood. Okay, well, And I would be totally cool with that. So what kind of wine would it be? I would be dying and be like, <laughs> Snake Plissken killed me, this is the best. Um, I would maybe, like, what wine would you serve Snake Plissken? Motor oil? Like, Motor oil. <laughs> like, here's some Pinzoil, dude. Thanks. Call Thanks. me Snake. Um, same way. And the thing is, is like, I was just thinking about, oh man, the Crustle. Ah, uh, I love him. The I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about Jack Burton, man. Poor Chop Express. Like, and what wine would you serve Jack Burton? Uh, Budweiser. That's the wine yes. I would serve him. And Snake Plissken. Honestly, I think that if in, that's a fictional characters and what they would drink. Snake Plissken, the peatiest fucking scotch or like the, or like, I just, it, it, it that makes what, sense. not that he would want to do it, but like the, the to me, pea scotch, like Isla scotch smells and tastes like a gunfight. Yeah. Like so blood to and me, cordite. Snake so like, Plissken, yeah. if you ask me about snake Plissken drinking, it's like, he should just try and travel back into the old West, bust into a saloon and the dustiest old bottle of, yeah, there that you, you, of good that shit from under the exactly. counter. Like, <laughs> and in the future, what would be the beverages in the future? Like, because I think what well, I mean, what was it going back and watching that against 1997? I think is the future yeah. of Escape yeah. right. from New York. 
And so like, what would they be drinking in 97? Hmm. Um, and that will look at like futuristic beverages. Like it's always, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they, you know, in, you know, futurists are always interesting to me when they think about movies and stuff like that. Like, well, how do you envelop like what minority report would look like? Like, what are they, you know, like Romulan ale, how'd they come up with blue water? Like that's the thing, right. like in the end Star Trek, like how do they come up with that? Like, how do you come up with blue milk in Star, you know, Star Wars? Like, right. what are you drinking in the future? Like, what, what beverages well, look are? Set. Yeah. Like from Clockwork Orange. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, you know, it's like, how do you futurize? What would you think about in the, you know, in the future? And, you know, honestly, I think, it, you know, it'll be like a patch you can put on your skin or it'll be a dab you put on your tongue or it'll be, you know, a subdermal injection that, you know, it's like, I want a Chateau Moussard or something. And it's like, all right. Boop, and you put it on your wrist, and it all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, it tastes great." Seventy-seven. Hmm, that's so, a good year, you know. It, it'll be almost like electronically manipulated. Wait a second. Brain. So, in a sense, you could try to maybe take what would be a really rare wine that maybe nobody would ever be able to drink, and you could somehow make that digital or something, and be or, able to do it digitally, and, and everybody think, can taste. And that, that way, everybody stuff. can get it. And but you'd have to be able to to make that to digitally. Mm -hmm sort of copy that taste profile, which is different for everybody. So that's the weird thing is like palettes uh, are like fingerprints. So how do you make, you'd almost have to make it in like an inference. So like the holodeck. So like you'd have to let your brain fill in the holes. So make it certain taste profiles, but let your own physical brain fill in the gaps. Because when you look at, that's why the human brain is so cool. Because if you look at the best horror movies, you never see Jaws for most of that movie. That's true. One because it was broken, right. but two, right. you under your brain invents more scary shit than That's Steven right. Spielberg ever. Yeah, it could. makes me think. I, I finished reading Ready Player One. Oh, oh. I had so much fun reading that book, and that's like the virtual world they live in. Isn't you that know? so much fun, though? Yeah. God, that book is so that book good. Is, okay, I'll read Badass. Badass. Oh, God. Badass. It is so good. If you were, I mean, if you are, if you were born, like if you lived through the 80s and loved playing, if you went to arcades for birthdays and like, listen to like if you have any sort of that 80s mentality man it's like that book is just the best well, yeah, thing so, you know he goes into a bar in one of those places and he or he orders a pangalactic gargle blaster yeah well, does exactly. he really yeah he does he orders Are a pangalactic gargle blaster yeah, and, and the then name, yeah and the name of his ship is the vonnegut yeah is the vonnegut <laughs> yeah dude oh it's it's always been one of my favorite things is the description of the pangalactic gargle blasters like it takes your brain out wraps it in a lemon and then smashes <laughs> it, with smashes it with a hammer that's right <laughs> i man douglas that's, that's awesome. the other thing is like you know uh the, you know physical descriptions and i think that one it's like you know that would be that would, finding a way to make your brain fill in those gaps i think is the only way that you would be able to do that but you know, I think that physical descriptors or things are great. And your descriptor, uh, Douglas Adams description of that is great because in the movie, when you see Sam Rockwell, you know, when they have a shot of it and you're like, okay, what's the reaction going to be? I think it's perfect because yeah, it's, it's like their eyes cross and they almost fall down <laughs> and it's like, Day! Oh! <laughs> and it's like, wow, they almost start speaking in tongues and they're like, okay, that was fantastic. And it's like banging on that thing. And they're like, yeah, let's do another one. Let's yeah, do another, another one. one, another one. <laughs> And I think that we've all had shots like that in our lives. We're like, I would call that a pangalactic gargle blaster. I, 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 think, I, I think, think a shot of straight up green whiskey moonshine. A straight up oh, shot geez. of 164 proof moonshine. I, yeah. I almost died. Well, yeah, I think I that's, didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. To well, me, it has to be sour, though, for that. 
Like there needs to, to be activate the the salivary oh, glands that, in the back. In the back yeah, of the neck. you get that. Yeah, and it just super cringy. tightens, like super tightens up. So it's just like you feel like you're the. Your, it's like your you got locked gonna, up. Yeah, so yeah, you feel like your cheeks are going to just explode. Blasters that moonshine with, with like with, a bunch of lemon juice in okay. it, <laughs> and then I don't or know. Or maybe you're right. That's all it is. It's just straight up lemon juice. You you yeah, shoot it and you just <laughs> bite no into a lemon. Well, and it's like I think anything that makes your like it makes your 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 sort of cheeks. Your cheek muscles feel like they're a dying star, like they're <laughs> like they're 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 they're, they're collapsing oh my, into a. My jaw's about to go supernova. It's, exactly, it's like they expand into a you know a red giant and they collapse into a white dwarf and then into a black hole. Like, and all of a sudden it's like, where did John go? Oh, he just had the pangalactic gargle blaster and uh, collapsed into himself. I'm your density. <laughs> yeah, I'm your density. All right, so let's talk about drinking wine in Oklahoma. What is the wine culture like in Oklahoma City? Where are the best places Man. for us to drink wine? If that's really the thing you're into. I will say the best, there's a couple places, like um, a couple places opening up, coming up, so I can't really review them because I haven't been there yet to check the vibe out. But for me, um, some of the best wine lists, the Metro, um, it's not oh, Metro the, wine bar up there. Yeah, on Metro wine bar. Laverell runs one of the best lists in the city. Um, it's really eclectic and she's, her markups are not that bad. So nice. sit at the bar and you can have some really interesting stuff for under 10 bucks. Um, I think that, uh, there's a, the, the wine list in town have gotten a lot better and I think they've gotten a lot more, a lot more eclectic. Um, uh, obviously the, the, the list at Ludovine, um, right. Is, is is you know is going to be a good one. Um, there, the thing that we lack in this city that I think that is going to there's going to be a couple of iterations of it opening up soon is a good like Ben seventy two labels himself as a wine bar, and um, I've been in there. That's yeah, just a bar. It's just a bar. It's just a bar. You know, and I think that what you to be a proper wine bar, you have to have educated staff who are passionate about it. You have to have uh, an ever changing selection. You have to have, um, and you have to have stuff that's going to appeal to a lot of people. You can't be too exclusive where you're like, oh, if you don't know what, you know, Shinon is and stay out. It's like, no, man, fuck that. It's like, we're in the job. If you don't know what Shinon is, come in and try it and let us teach you about exactly. it. Exactly. And let us educate you about it. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. It's a great place to come and learn. That's what a good wine bar there should be, is a good place to come and learn about wine if you want to. It facilitates um, exploration. It does. And I think that there's a lot of places, I think a lot of people are being very sort of hoity-toity about it and being pushing, trying to make themselves so exclusive that they're pushing a lot of their clientele away, which is we're not in the business to push people away. We're in the business to bring people in. And that's one of the reasons I pursued my certification is because I met a lot of certified Psalms in Los Angeles who were straight up dicks. Yeah. Like straight up dicks. Like I know more than you. It doesn't matter. I don't care what your palate is. You know, I don't care you. what your palate is. Yeah, exactly. It's like I drink the best stuff, you know, because I'm the best. And it's like, no, man. It's like you can't have that attitude. You've well, I have... didn't realize that when I drink wine, it was about you. Sorry. Yeah, right. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, and this guy, yeah, this guy named, you know, I'll, yeah, I don't know his last name. So Darren. Name. Darren. Uh, screw who, you, Darren. Yeah, screw you, Darren. <laughs> he must be the um, second Darren. From yeah, the right. Reds. Exactly. He, I don't know. He really influenced me because I was like, I don't want to be like that prick. Like if I can not be like that guy, if I can bring people That's into the goal. fold as a pole, you know, as opposed to being like that asshole who's just trying to scare people One away. One of those people that kind of gives Psalms maybe a bad name. Yeah, and I think that the culture has changed. And speaking on the culture in the city, when I moved back in 2000... Um, 
you give Psalms a twenty ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I will always say that now and here. You give Psalms. You give Psalms a bad name. Wow, wow, Mary wine. Um, that's pretty good I, math guitar. Yeah, uh, that's the only guitar I play well. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, that I, you know, I think that one since I moved back in twenty ten the lists have kind of progressed where there you have people that are more willing. And I honestly uh, will equate this to a lot of the millennials too, who are, as opposed to, you know, older people, they're more willing to try new things. Right. Like they are literally are like, I don't care what it is. I want to try it, you know? And that's, what's so badass is the fact that you can, you can put really cool stuff on a list and you have people that are willing to try it because if you don't have people willing to try it, it doesn't matter if it's on your list or not. Especially if you don't have the clientele that will, or if you don't have the the uh, staff that will sell it, because it's a twofold thing, man. You can't just be if you're the only guy that knows anything in your wine shop or your your wine bar, it's not going to work out for you unless you're there all the time. I mean, you can have all the most eclectic selection in the world, but if you don't have the staff that's educated to sell it, that's why wine education is so important in restaurants and in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the major focus of a wine shop I worked at, the Edmund Wine Shop. They focus heavy on education um, and educating your your clientele as well. They focus heavily on that too. Um, but I think that you really need to focus on people who are passionate about it because if you know if you're there's a that's the thing about Oklahoma City too is there's only about a, I mean there's only about a hundred good waiters in the city and they just rotate jobs. So and the and the waiters that are really good never have left that job. You know, the, some of the servers at Opus Prime have been there 20 years, you know, so oh, servers wow. at the Metro have been there a long time. So you, you have a low turnover at some of these better places and the high turnover is like the places that, you know, you know, college kids who don't want to do something else and they don't really care about it. And the thing is, is like a, 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 a warning to anybody who is a, is a waiter in college treat it with respect because that job will, I know that there's very few people that want to be, you know, life, you know, lifelong servers, but use that job as a sounding board to make you money at big in bigger markets. So if you take your restaurant training seriously, you can have a job in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles that can let you live in that town while you pursue other things. You know, it's like, it's rare. I meet somebody who's like, man, I just want to, I just want to be a waiter for my whole life. It's great if you do, you know, if you want to stay in restaurants and do that, that's fine. But if not, use it take that training, learn from all the older folks on the floor, you know, pointers to get you where you need to go. Because I think a lot of people don't understand like how much money a good server can make. You know, I mean, if you're good, because there's very few good servers out there, really good servers, um, you can make a lot of money if you make somebody feel welcome and you talk them through the menu and you ask fucking questions. What do you like to eat? What do you, what do you usually drink? Oh, I usually drink Apothic Red or whatever. Well, don't suggest some dry Airsats grape varietal that they're not going to like. Suggest something big, fruity, and fun. You know, and I think there's very few servers out there who, it happened to me uh, last night, actually. I had somebody try to upsell me because I pointed to the least expensive wine on the menu for the starter. And he was like, well, this is that. And he doesn't know what I do. Um, So, and I'm not going to be a dick, but he was like, I said that to him. It's like, I will take this wine. I said that to him. He was like, well, but this one at $50. Wait, he upsold you from the cheapest to a $50 glass of 50 wine? 50 and then up to a 70 But you didn't ask and for his I did input. not at all. I said specifically, <clears throat> we'll take this. We'll take this 
right here, four glasses. We'll take this to start. Not, and I'll not get what do ready. you think about this? No, I didn't ask him. I said, we'll take this. And he goes, well, but, and I was like, there shouldn't be a well, but after that. I'm sorry. Like there, there's not, if they say specifically what they want, say, thank you very much. And you walk away, you know? And I said, I was going to order another bottle for dinner, which I did, you know? And that's the thing is like, I, I, I didn't get annoyed, but I was like, is he really like, I just told him what I wanted and he's actually going to try to, but this, and it's like, this is DOC and this is, this is because it's from Italy and it's specific and it's better. And this is going to be drier. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I want this because I know I know it and I've drank it before and it's perfect for what we're doing. We're doing cheese and we're doing we're doing like a cheese board or whatever. This is what I want, you know, and I knew what I wanted. I was like, yeah, we'll do this. It's fine. It was like $30. So the less ex the least expensive sparkler they had on their menu and he tried to upsell me. I was like, I don't man, that's don't, you know, just don't do that. You know, if they ask you, well, what do you suggest? Of course. Yeah. Right. Ask what your price point is. It's never mm -hmm. rude to ask what your price point is or merely point at the menu to the person ordering the wine point to the menu. Will we have this at this, you know, at this price point. So no one else, I've done that with, with, with guys before on dates, I've gone to their side of the table and pointed with my two fingers. Like these are, we, how about this, this, or this at three different price points. And he's like, and without saying price points, or I just straight up ask, well, what do you want to spend? You know, and my price point personally is between 75 and 125 when I go to a restaurant. I don't, I know what wine, I know what wine costs. I don't need to spend more than that at a restaurant. And so I will tell them straight up, it doesn't offend me to be asked. I'd rather be asked than somebody like that story about that guy in Vegas who won big and went in and said, give me your most expensive bottle. And it's like a $40,000 bottle of Petrus. And he got the bill and was like, I'm not paying it. <laughs> and it's like, Without even asking us a question, you said you wanted the most expensive bottle and you didn't ask us what that was. You said most expensive and this is fucking Vegas. Right. This isn't Bartlesville. <laughs> you know, this isn't, you know, the Oregon coast. This is fucking Vegas. Yeah. So yeah, go big or get the fuck out. And this guy, like his bill was like, Forty like forty five thousand dollars, and most of it was you one know, bottle of wine, and, one, and four thousand forty thousand of it was one bottle of wine, and he refused to pay it, and it was just like, we don't work that way. No, no, no. I got and to do that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, was, I, I got to do some work in the the Wynn Casino when we were installing the server, the cash register system there, and there was a a Chinese restaurant in this place, and it was the most expensive restaurant in the Wynn. And that first night that we were doing um, live support for them, there were bills coming out of that back room that were like $75,000. Yeah, I've seen These, an $80,000 They were getting check. things like, yep. like bird's nest soup as an appetizer where the appetizer bowl of soup was like $120. Oh yeah. And like all right. of the bottles of liquor <laughs> and stuff that they're serving is always, it's under lock and key. Oh yeah. And this stuff is selling at like, you know, $700 a glass. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Vegas has got amazing wine because they can sell it. Cause they can sell it. You know, and that's the thing is like people balk at like, Ooh, who's going to buy a $5,000 yeah, bottle of wine? When you go to in, Vegas. When you're in a restaurant, that's, next door to a Ferrari dealership. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Careful. <laughs> Don't order the most expensive. That's like walking into that Ferrari dealership and give me your most expensive vehicle. Wait, $10 million. Are Screw you serious? You, you got like you. a Ford Fiesta around here yeah, somewhere? Yeah, right. <laughs> and just know your environment. And that's the thing is like, it, it, you know, I hate to use that guy as a cautionary tale, but I mean that, uh, I mean, honestly, guy, people like that are kind of douchebaggery. They're kind of, yeah. kind of douchebags anyway. It's like, they want to be big shots and throw their, you know, it's like, look how big my dick is. And then they realize actually how small their penis is when they go, oh, 40 grand. Wait, you saw this guy's penis? I did. <clears throat> it's my, it's, I had to use a micrometer. Oh, it was oh, crazy. Ouch. Yeah. Ooh, burn. 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 <laughs> um, 
but no, I mean, you run into people like that. I've been, I've been in restaurants long enough to, 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 you can smell them when they walk in the door, man. It's like, they want to throw their, throw their money around just to find out, you know, what, how you're going to treat them. But I think too, I think that part of the, part of the deal, especially with this, with Oklahoma, I think we're in a really good spot because we're, uh, I think we're, we're, we're handling it well enough that the restaurants opening up realize who their clientele are and they're organizing their wine list accordingly. And they're really interesting. Like you can go into a lot of different restaurants around town and, uh, get a good glass of wine. Um, they're, I guess, a lo- God, we, I, to make a long story longer, um, the, you know, Petri Augusto has a great, uh, wine list. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of places to go to get really good wine. And there's something the pretty you, knowledable there too. Actually, yeah, it is. And the thing serving. is too, is like, and ask your server at the end of the day, the best piece of advice I can give anybody is when you go to a wine shop, ask, ask the, the clerk at the wine shop advice. They are there to help you. If you walk in, this is what I will tell you. If you walk in to a wine shop, this is my, and this is my personal thing that I do uh, to test out a wine shop's sort of quality. I walk in and ask for the best thing they've got for under 15 bucks. And if it doesn't absolutely blow you away, never go back. Okay. Um, that's what I used to always do is ask for the best thing they got for under 15 bucks. And if they honestly, if they walk to a $25 bottle of wine, get the fuck out of there because <laughs> they one, they're not listening to you and right. they just want to sell you heavy. And the thing is, is people don't think about building a generational clientele. Like when you work at a wine shop, you want that person you're selling their wine. You want their kids to come and shop there. And so don't, oversell them. Don't ever do that. I would rather sell people two bottles of $13 exactly, wine yeah. than sell them one bottle of $30 And never wine. see them again. And never see them again. And that's, I think, the misconception a lot of people do. They go for that hard sell first, and it's like, well, why didn't the guy ever come back? Well, because you gouged him. And I'm a consumer, too, and I can hate that, um, man. I think that's just, you're taking advantage of somebody, and the thing you want to do is, is you want to ease them into it. And if they go, and honestly, what I used to do is if they asked for a $30 bottle of wine, I would go and be like, here's this bottle at 18 and it is wow. I mean, it will blow you away. And it's just, it's exactly what you want. Um, and I know it's screw cap, you know, yeah. but don't that, you can't use you that can't as use a that quality. As a, mm-hmm. You know, you can't use that as an, in, uh, an indicator of quality. You know, anymore. it says it has a, the screw Course, cap, but actually, thing that it, it actually it shows of, that this winemaker is being environmentally cautious because now they're not over harvesting cork. Well, and what they're <laughs> also doing, there's only three countries on the planet that make cork yeah. and it's going away and it's expensive. And it also has a chemical called, called TCA that can contaminate the wine. If you have a winemaker that's enclosing their wine in Stelvins, which are screw caps, it means that one, they're looking out for you, the consumer, because they know the wine that they present in that case is not going to be corked one. The only way it's going to be bad is if it gets burned up in, in a transit. And so what they're doing is there's no possibility of it getting any taint because of screw cap. So imagine being that, and and one, the average is one in 12 bottles is going to be corked. So one of those bottles in a case, and say you're a first time buyer of this wine and you get that wine, you get that one bottle in 12 uh that tastes like wet dog wrapped in newspaper. Like, are you ever going to drink that again? No, because you're going to think not knowing that's what that is supposed to taste like. You got the, you got the bad bottle. And so they're, hedging their bets for their clientele and saying, no, we don't want any possibility of that happening. So why don't we use crew caps to lower that to zero? So we know there's a guaranteed product going to shelf. And so that's where you'll see, I mean, in 10 years, I would, there will I would be no say more 90%. Corks. Well, yeah. or, your corks are going to be in high end Bordeaux, probably yeah. in classifieds. 
some of your more traditional California Pinot growers, I think will do that too. Um, I, I love cork. I'm not going to lie. I mean, well, I'm yeah. a traditionalist too. I, I, I love pulling well, a cork out. Well, there is a certain tactile it. sensation to opening the bottle of wine. Yes, exactly. Having I'm, the cork and saving I'm, the cork. I'm and, an analog cat in a digital world, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I love vinyl. And I go. love pulling corks out of wine and stuff like that. Yeah. So, But I do also... I love screw caps because I know they're not going to be bad. And my everyday wines, almost every one of them is screw cap. Yeah. Like it's it's rare that I will buy a wine that's not under Stelvin now just because I know that the quality is going to be. You bad. know what the best screw cap wine is? Those new single serving 12 ounce cardboard containers of wine that you can go and oh, get. Oh, the Boda just Box? Go and just throw a whole bunch of those into a cart. You know, well, it's just it's like drinking a beer, but it's a 12 ounce cardboard container of wine. Well, and they also have wine in cans now. I mean, yeah. oh, that's right. There is one. Yeah, they do have one in cans now. Yeah, now. But the the cautionary tale about that <laughs> Don't is drink that too many? one can is three hundred and seventy five uh, milliliters, which is half a bottle. So, <laughs> not like drinking beer. It's not like that. So, I, I went through a six pack of wine. You drank three <laughs> fucking bottles. You drink three bottles of wine. <laughs> okay. You didn't so drink a six pack. You drink three bottles. You drink of wine. three bottles of wine. So realize that two cans of wine. <laughs> Is one bottle of wine. Yeah. So there's a sense of loss, I think, when you start drinking out of boxes as opposed to a bottle because you see how much of the bottle's left and you know that's 750 milliliters. Yeah. But out of a can, you're just like, oh, it's a can. Pound. Oh, shit. That's half a bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> packing your ice chest full of cans of wine is a whole different thing. Oh, my God. Full of yeah. cans of beer. And especially if you're tailgating, it's like, why is that whole truck passed out? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like after an hour of tailgating, oh, because they all had four bottles of wine apiece. It flashes me to that. Uh, it's always sunny where they were so clever about putting wine in cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> Nobody even knows. And they're all walking around with purple teeth and, <laughs> and just getting trashed. That's awesome. Yeah, stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, man. It's like no one knows until you, you know, fall out of your chair. Yeah, then everybody will know. All right, so we're starting to come close to the end here, but there's two things. For sure. I think think we may have the same question. First, I want you just to, you don't have to talk in depth about this very much, but are there any good Oklahoma wines? And last thing we're going to do. These are my same two questions. Is you're going to speak your piece in 792. Okay. Oklahoma wines. First part of that question. Oklahoma wines. Um... No, uh, not <laughs> no, that I've had. That's what I say. Um, and the thing is, is not to be disparaging. It's just that they're not one. I think that most Oklahoma winemakers, and and this is just my opinion. This does not reflect the opinions of everybody else in Oklahoma. The you know winemakers association. I I just think personally that the reason is is because they are choosing to grow the wrong grapes for their climate. Um, they are also are choosing to make wines that they enjoy drinking, which are sweet. So I won't say that they don't make any good wines. If you love sweet wines and fruit-based wines, yes, there are some. Um, I That's not my style. So I can't say there aren't any good ones. There aren't any good ones as far as my palate is concerned. If you love a good fruit-based wine, I which I think that- I don't care about your palate. Right, I know, exactly. But I think that if you want um, a good raspberry wine, if you want a, a wine made out of fruit other than grapes, there are some good ones here. Um, I think if you want any grape- any wine, grape wine, made out of vinifera grapes in Oklahoma, you're up a creek because I think people are trying to grow grapes that, one, aren't going to grow here, and two, you have to look at your soil types when you're growing these grapes and look at your climate. Um, it just doesn't get enough, it just doesn't get cold enough here at night um, during the summertime, during your growing season for the grapes to stop ripening. So they'll just, that's why they're so sweet. 
And so what you want to do is maybe not grow vinifera and grow astavalis, which are which is what Missouri does. And Missouri, there is uh, Chardonnay, which is a hybrid. There is Chamberson, which is uh, an astavalis grape. They're not vinifera, so not Cab or Merlot or Cab Franc or any of the grapes that California or the rest of the world grows, but they're more uh, food-based grapes like Norton uh, and Concord. Um, but if done properly, you can make really good wines. There's a winery called Stone Hill out of Missouri that is making really good wine out of Chamberson and Chardonnay and Vidal Blanc. But they're doing it because they know that's what grows there. They're doing it smart. I think that people here, they're growing what they want to grow because they think it's going to make them money and it just doesn't work out that way. Um, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing is I think that, and that's honestly, it's just my opinion, but I think that in my experience, it's what I've seen. Um, but yeah, on the other end of that, if you want a good raspberry or if you want a good blueberry wine or something like that, hell yeah, there's some good ones out Strawberry there. Wine. Yeah, but you have to like that style. And I yeah. just, I can't drink a super sweet style of wine. If mm -mm. I'm going to do that, I'll drink port. But yeah, if you like that super sweet style, yeah, I think there's some good stuff out there. Route 66 and Stable Ridge, they make some good sweeter style wines. But as far as my palate goes, I just think that if they took a couple steps back and decided to grow uh, more wines, and I haven't tasted every winery in Oklahoma. There's a one popping up, it seems like, every, yeah. every week. So there might be some stuff out there I haven't tasted. But just, in my, just with my opinion... Um, if you like a sweet style, yes. If you like a drier style wine, no. Um, but yeah, the, the only way, uh, the only way that I have actually enjoyed Oklahoma wines are the wineritas. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. And that's the that's thing is a, like good party, a good slushy the, party mm -hmm. wine. Slushy and that's kind of the way you, it's not real serious. It's more fun. And that's the thing is like, I think serious grape growing, we're still a few years out and it's going to take some people that really want to invest some money and time looking at microclimates, find, a find some find a good soil type by a river on a hill where you have your vines in a hollow so it stays cool enough mm -hmm. during the during the day you have to look at little microclimates that's really the only way to you do find it. where like temperature inversions I mean, occur seriously and i mean and you've really got to be specific about if you want to grow certain grape varietals you have to really look acre by acre um mm -hmm. in order to find the ones that will grow right i mean my buddy in, is going to plant cab franc in virginia just because of the soil type and because there is a hollow it's on the side of a slope that drops a hundred feet. And so at the bottom of this hill, he's got, it's, it's, it's cold enough at night and it stays cold enough, um, before it gets too hot during the day for the grapes to ripen properly. But huh. yeah, there's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to poo poo, you know, the, the wines either. just not to my palate, but I think that if you took time, you could grow, you could make good wine here if you chose to grow proper grapes, but if you put look, some science behind it. Yeah. Put, yeah. Yeah. When in doubt science, you know, yeah. that's the thing, man, is you can't just, it's not, just growing grapes is not like growing anything else. I mean, we are a state that grows crops very well because we were at the bottom of a seabed millennia ago. So we have very good soil for crops. We have very bad soil for grapes because you need to starve a grapevine. And so you need nice limestone. You need nice, like sort of uh, uh Kim which is like crushed, sea, you know, seashell. You need soil types like that. Clay works mm -hmm. really well too for certain varietals, but you know, caliche, damn, you know, that's kind of tough, you know, uh, but you want, I mean, you want a, a grape, to, you want a grapevine to struggle because a grapevine, the very top of it is just the tip of the iceberg. There's 40 meters of vines underneath that are trying to get to your, to your water table yeah. to pull water up. So the thing is, is our soil is good. And so we have some beautiful grapevines, but you want ugly vines. 
you want little gnarled old woman hands that have grape vines off the top. If you look at, you know, areas in Southern France, like Chetneuf de Pop, it's just rocks and vines that look oh, like, wow. like old hands coming out of there. Um, and you know, other places, I, I don't know, you want to starve a vine. And I think that people who are trying to make, you know, Oklahoma Merlot and some other things, they need to look at their sort of winemaking style and the way they irrigate and the way that they, you know, grow their grapes first and foremost. Um, but like I said, that's just my opinion. Oh. Um, All right, 792. 792. I've got to be quick about it. Um, 792. So state question 792. State question 792. And, and, and this is this is my opinion. I, I I do have skin in the game because I am on this side of the business. Um, and the thing is, is the question really comes down to local versus national. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of nuance to the law, you know, to the law, but the major the major thing is that 791 wants the same thing 792 does, except we, 792 is bad because, let me put it in, in, this is the best way I can put it. So we haven't changed our liquor law since 59. And what 792 wants to do is go from 1959 to 2016 overnight. Immediately, yeah. And that is disastrous. Imagine going 60 miles an hour and putting your car in first. You're going to blow your clutch. It's going to be horrible. That was what would happen. 791, the only thing 791 wanted to do is parse that over 10 years, nine years, I think is what it was. So virtually virtually the same thing. There's a lot of nuance to how many licenses you can have and you know whatnot. But for me personally, what it is is I want fair competition. And what fair competition is is allow these stores to have the same competitive rights that the big box stores do. And that's all that it just kind of ste- is stepping into it cautiously with 791 instead of throwing the doors wide open. Exactly. And what it does too is 792 is backed by Walmart and Anheuser Busch mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, that's the other thing too is they can say no, 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 it's not, but it is. And that's the thing is like, um, that's that's what You're right. it actually truly is. It actually truly it is. actually is backed by them. And 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 that's the bad thing is I think that they want to say oh no 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 it's not but. There was a question that came up. It's like, well, you know, what about these kids who are going to, you know, come in and steal this beer and all that stuff about, you know, giving it, giving them access. And it's like, well, Anheuser-Busch, that's all they want. They want 17-year-olds to steal their beer because it's advertising for them. <laughs> like, I mean, on, I mean, young, I, mean. I, I wahooed beer. When I was a kid, I wahooed beer, too. Whatever beer that kid is wahooing is somewhere the, in rural is the Oklahoma, big, we'll be drinking that when he's 50. Well, and the thing is, too, is whatever he wahoos, where's he going to wahoo from? What's right by the door? What's the big stacks that are really oh. easy to get to? Oh. Budweiser, Bush, all of those. And what that is, is you steal a 30-pack and go to a party, that's advertising. <laughs> so they don't care. Anheuser-Busch can bleed 30-packs and not lose a dime. Yeah. And it's just free advertising for them. So... With that motivation, I'm like, yeah, they don't give a shit if 17 year old's going to steal beer from Walmart. You know, they don't mind. They're not going to police that. Why do you think Anheuser Bush beers? Well, because when we were kids, that's what we used to wahoo. So it's got these great memories with it. Or it's what you paid somebody else to go buy for you. Uh, You know, it's like everybody did it. And so it's like, and then once you become of age, what do you buy? Like my first six pack was Bud Light. Right. My first six pack at Buy for Less on 23rd and Penn was Bud Light. Yeah, when I started you know? smoking, I would hawk him off my old man's bureau and he smoked Winston's. <laughs> I smoke him today. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is I think that it's just, it's whatever is, you know, that's the problem. You know, that's the problem is I think that most people, they, all they hear is cold beer and they stop listening. 
And I think that's just with this culture now. It's like, look at Twitter. They see a headline and that's what they believe. They don't that's read they any more of the, they don't dig into the story. Yeah. They just see the headline on Twitter and that's what they've, they've already made their judgment. That's and they, they go with it as And truth. they go with it and they, and they own that judgment. And with this, especially with this, you have to, it's going to affect the lives of a lot of Oklahomans. <laughs> um, every liquor store in Oklahoma is owned by an Oklahoman. You have to be a resident of 10 right. years to get a liquor license. So it's all locals that own it. We don't have... Uh, and you could basically only have two, right? You can have two, yeah. And the thing is, is like, do you really... I mean, I, the thing is, is, I mean, in, in California and in Texas, they were modernizing at about the same time. So you have equal opportunity. Like the deli in wine shop I worked at, we, we, were, we could sell until two. We could sell deli items. You know, K&L wine could sell glassware and, you know, they could sell decanters and stuff. Um, uh, BevMo could do that as well. They sold kegerators and all kinds of stuff, you know. So um, if you look at, and I also bought wine at Ralph's, but you look at the selection. I think that you have people that huh, when, if 792 passes, you're going to see a decrease in selection because big box stores that have an agenda, big companies have an agenda and they, they don't want to sell little things. They're going to sell one case, two cases of a month. They want stuff they can sell 20 cases, 30 cases of a month. So you're going to see your selection being dwindled, especially craft beer is going to go down too, because all of the craft beers that, you know, beer nerds shake their sabers over, they, Anheuser-Busch has zero need to promote those. They don't need to at all. Um, I mean, unless they own them, they have no reason to support them. Um, the entire, if you look at how uh, Anheuser-Busch is marketed, the way that they tell their reps to go out is look at how much foot, how much feet you have at a cooler. Like go, go to Walmart and look at their three, two beer selection and see how many square, see the square footage of Bud and Bud Light versus Coors and Coors Light and all that. That's all they want is square footage. Um, and so that's all they're after is advertising square footage. It's all ads for them. So they tell their reps, like there's a grid that's like, this is how much you should have. Sure. Like this is how you face your product is with this, by this grid. And we're so lucky right now to have so much selection and we can order anything from anywhere, you know, as long as there's a 40, there's a, like a $450 posting and there's a 45 day wait period, but we can order anything from anywhere, like really cool Rieslings from Terry Thies portfolio and really cool beers from, you know, um, like Lagunitas, um, uh, and other, you know, other places. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of really cool selection and that you're going to see that go away if 792 passes. So let's say for instance, a 792 does pass. Do you think that I would be able to then go into Walmart and get like a stone IPA or something? Probably not. You don't think so? No. Um, I would be shocked if you could do that. Um, I, you couldn't go into, uh, a Walmart you, and that's the thing is like, I shopped at Ralph. So if you want Woodbridge and Yellowtail and stuff like that, that's what Walmart's going to have. And Ralph's, that's the big grocery chain. Out yeah, in it's the, yeah. Ralph's is the big grocery chain on the West coast. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's sure. equivalent to like Walmart or Vons. Well, Vons is on, also on the West coast, but like, um, Crest, you could yeah, say Crest. Or Kroger um, or Giant Eagle. Yeah, Kroger. Safeway. Um, yeah. IGA, Safeway. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting point. I was just thinking about this from a, a terms of like supply, demand, things like that. Because one of the things people have said is that 792 or a law like it would effectively and three, two beer in a sense. Well, and it would be, I mean, they can because say they no longer would have to make that for our archaic laws. So I'm looking at that. Like, so if, if I'm Budweiser and I no longer have to make three, two to, to enter the market yeah. of Walmart here, 
then I now can produce only my high point. And if I'm doing that, that's going to lower my overall cost because I'm not running yeah. two production lines. I'm not running two shipping lines. I'm not running two warehouse lines, Yeah, which means the price point is going to go down, which means I'm going to be able to turn around and offer Walmart cheaper high point beer than even I could have in the past. And so Walmart's going to look at that as, oh, why do I need to sell anything else when I can get this bud at a higher margin? I can make more money off selling this one beer yeah. than I can off selling a Stone IPA well, or and the, whatever. The unfortunate thing, the big argument 792 makes, at least what I heard at the forum, was that, um, oh, no, liquor stores will be, I mean, 75% of beer sales in Oklahoma are 3-2. Why? Because it's at a grocery store. If you have six point at a grocery store, 3-2 is going to be non-existent. Right. As a consumer, and if, you, if, you, if you're a consumer and you tell me that you would rather buy 3-2 beer than six point, you're a liar. Yeah, yeah. So why, you know, yeah, you can say that all you want that. Oh yeah. You're going to have 75% of all. Does anybody say that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen that stat a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, We've we've had a show where we've talked about the benefits of drinking 3.2 beer. No, the only reason people buy 3.2 beer is it's what they can go into 7-Eleven or Walmart and buy cold. And buy cold. Yeah. So they can can go home and drink it. If you had 3.2 cores and six point cores side by side, who is going to buy the 3.2? No one, you know? And I, you know, I think unless you're like, I, I want to spend all night in the bathroom. Hooray! <laughs> right. That's my whole point right now is I'm gonna pee all night and not get drunk. <laughs> and then I mean and just empty calories. Huzzah! <laughs> Huzzah! Give me based, more. Based on what you're saying, I like I like your take on that because that's something that I hadn't heard of of just like it's the main difference is it's just opening floodgates versus let's slowly increase that value. Right. And, and, and the thing is, is, I mean, the Oakland Retail Association, we, it's not, we don't want anything different than 792 wants. We just want to take it. They just want to take it at a, at a, at a, a, at pace. a pace, which is logical. I mean, look at California and Texas. They've been doing this since, you know, right. since the 60s. They've been modernizing equally. And that's all that I think anybody wants is equality, you know, yeah. and 792, they want a monopoly. Yeah. And that's what's bad about it, you know, and, you know, there's a lot more nuance that I, that I, it's, I'm not a lawyer, so yeah. there's a lot more nuance to it. But the, the main takeaway from it is that it's the difference between, you know, taking, taking her time and being smart Oklahomans about it or, you know, being, you know, I think we're, you know, taking, we always have to look 10 years in the future as opposed to look, always look two years, two years in the future as opposed to two weeks in the future. How is this going to affect businesses 10 years down the road and you know it's it's going to be detrimental in the long run 792 will because for local business and as local as as we love to tout local business you know i think that the unfortunate thing is is i think that it will take a lot of those away but and if you're so desperate to go buy a cold high point beer right now you can go to a local brewery well and that's the thing is like so and my takeaway is let you know no on 792 and let's wait and let's just go back to zero and let's do better and in the meantime, you know? yeah, if I need to go grab a six pack of <laughs> yeah. cold high point beer, I'll go it. over to Anthem and get it. Well, because like, thi- you can. Now. Yeah, and the thing is too is like there are ways to get your shit cold in three minutes, man. I'm a server. <laughs> Ice, salt, and water. Come on, guys. Like, yeah, that's true. If you really want your beer cold in three minutes, you can get, it get a bucket of ice. Throw, uh, get a bucket of ice, throw some iodized salt in there and throw some water in there. Well, I mean, that obviously goes back, back to supporting your argument about people going to Walmart to grab their beers is because it's convenience. Yeah, you know? exactly, right. exactly. And at the end of the day, I mean, what are we willing to sacrifice for convenience, you know? A lot. So, yeah, <laughs> sweet. obviously. Well, a thank lot. you for joining us, man. Hey, man, it's anytime, nice guys. Any time. Any time. Do you anytime. have a Twitter handle? Um, it is Drink This OKC. Uh, yeah, yeah cool Drink Twitter This OKC, handle. yeah. Um, 
That and then, uh, yeah, on the Instagrams, I am uh, Rise Nerds Rise. Rise I'm all, Nerds Rise. Rise Nerds Rise, man. We got to rise up. We will That's take right, over at some up. point. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, this has been Thanks awesome. For awesome. Right. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to The Wafty Show with Stephen, Aaron, and John. As always, we need to thank Joshua Path for the use of our theme song, Cement Truck, off the album Between Heaven and Jonestown, recorded by the magnificent Kurt PR. Kurt's, Kurt's awesome. That is available on iTunes, CD Baby, and anywhere the internet can be found. Remember, as you go out to visit our local places and events, make sure you take care of those who take care of you. Tip your waiters, waitresses, bartenders, musicians, and artists. They're out there working hard for you. We come out with a new episode every Monday. You can find us on iTunes by searching We Apologize for the Inconvenience, where you can subscribe, rate, and comment. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wafty Show. Facebook.com slash Wafty Show. We'll see you next week. I'll be free. Yes.